switching gears, gears here away from end states. What's your take on uh, the FTX founder? Uh, I guess they call him SBF. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, it's incredibly disappointing. I mean, he was positioning himself as the adult in the room in crypto. And I am you know, going to be the regulated exchange and I'm going to professionalize, the, professionalize this space. And he ended up being the biggest scammer of them all. Right. I mean, he, he I mean, some of the stuff that's coming out and obviously it's all still alleged. The best case scenario is that he was massively incompetent. Right. When he was positioning himself as like, you know, very competent and and, you know, super sophisticated and trustworthy. At best, he was incompetent. And at worst, it was you know fraudulent and criminal. So it's just a mess of a situation. It makes everyone's job in the industry a whole lot harder to, you know, scratch and claw for every ounce of legitimacy for each high profile scam and blow up. It just makes people that much more skeptical. Luckily for us, you know, we provide a real actual physical product right. that can wrap their heads around and the crypto component of it or the blockchain component of it is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the entire puzzle. So um, we're a little bit insulated from it, but it definitely makes everyone's jobs more difficult. Yeah, I guess especially since it's you know such a new area or field. So would an uh, old school analogy be just because one bank happened to take your money and run doesn't mean that all the other banks are bad? Yeah, the the bank analogy is tough because so many people think of crypto as just purely financial when there's yeah. you know a lot more to the blockchain ecosystem as a whole. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's a, a, an apt analogy where, you know, just because one player or many players in the space were irresponsible or, um, you know, were, were bad actors doesn't mean that everyone in the space is. And there's still so much more volume of legitimate great work happening in the space. It just doesn't get the headlines. Wow, crazy. So how do you see blockchain and crypto kind of evolving? So look, you know, five, 10 years down the road. I think the... Crypto and, and blockchain will have made it when people stop talking about it, right? When it kind of like fades into the background as a technology that enables these better experiences, right? So Bitcoin is a store of value and it allows you to send money across the world instantaneously for very low, low fees, right? So you don't have to wait for ACH clearing. You don't have to initiate a wire. Yeah. There's no borders. It just moves at the speed of the internet. Um, and when that goes into the background and people don't have to learn totally new behaviors. They'll have to learn some new behaviors, but when it's more seamless, I think that will be a success. Similar with NFTs, right? NFTs, the technology, it's essentially an empty data payload, right? Think of it like a PDF. It's almost like a file format, right? So right. people saying like, I hate NFTs or, you know, kind of saying like, oh, I hate PDFs. They don't really hate NFTs. They hate a specific, you know, specific use case or a specific set of content that has been embodied in NFTs. But the technology of having a cryptographically um, verifiable digital asset that is provably scarce is a huge innovation from, you know, things like having, um, you know, everyone always gives the example of um, liens or uh, real estate leases, uh, you know, on the, on the blockchain and, you know, being able to transact through smart contracts. Um, for example, uh, parametric insurance. This is one I always give in my class, right? So you have a smart contract that says, my flight is delayed by more than two mile, uh, two hours, automatically pay out my, my policy, right? So like all of that happens through a contract. There's no intermediary. There's no filing a claim. This smart contract looks at the global database of flights. The second my flight is more than two hours delayed, my policy pays out. 
Um, and you know, all of that happens seamlessly, right? So there's a lot of efficiencies that can happen that will facilitate better product experiences and people may not even necessarily know what's happening in the background. That's what I think the bull case for the industry is. Gotcha. And then what do you say to people that say, oh, Bitcoin's just for drug dealers and smugglers that want to kind of hide their transactions? I'd say Bitcoin is a really bad way to do that. I think it was a it was a good way to do it for about, you know, maybe three or four years in like the early to mid 2010s. But um, there's been so many cases of high profile criminals, including the Silk Road, which was this, you know, open open marketplace for any asset that was using Bitcoin because they thought it was censorship um, resistant and completely anonymous. They found out the hard way that it was pseudonymous and there was sort of uh. you know forensics you can do on Bitcoin transactions to trace it to real people. So <laughs> there are other cryptocurrencies that could you know be a better um, facilitator of illicit activity, but Bitcoin is a really bad one because the on-chain analytics are so good at this point. The other thing I'd say is that like you know the U.S. dollar itself facilitates a lot of illicit activity and people aren't saying the U.S. dollar is right. a bad thing or, you know, a fundamentally for criminals, even though, I don't know, you, you know, you read stats that like something like 40% of U.S. dollars can have trace amounts of cocaine on them or something, right? Like all this crazy stuff that happens that, you know, people don't blame the U.S. dollar for. It's the criminal activity. I think the same argument applies to Bitcoin, right? It's, it's you know, whatever you make of it, most people are not using it for criminal activity. Yeah. So the Bitcoin really could be, it, by definition, it's a true global currency. Yeah, that's right. It's it's so, completely borderless. So would you ever envision where every country gets rid of their own currency and then Bitcoin is the one global currency? I don't think every country would because there's so much geopolitics involved in having your own currency and the relative strength of your own currency. But um, it's possible that Every country will issue their own cryptocurrency, like a digital dollar or digital yuan, mm-hmm. which we're already seeing. Um, I also think that smaller countries who sort of don't benefit from having their own currency may adopt it um, as their as their currency because um, it is sort of less. They're not empowering any one nation state by having it as their as their you know reserve currency as opposed to you know being U.S. dollar denominated or trying to, you know, prop up their own currency has all of these other implications associated with it. We're already seeing a few countries like El Salvador accepted as legal tender. I think in the future, we'll see more countries, um, more countries do the same, especially for smaller economies who aren't really players um, on the global stage of, you know, people aren't transacting in their, in their currencies for international deals. I think it could become a backbone of, of the international financial system. Wow. Amazing. So if I were a, Wall Street analysts in charge of making money for my clients. So say I work at Fidelity and I run the blockchain and crypto practice, you know, for lack of better words. Um, and I called you and I said, hey, Bennett, you know, I'm kind of in this space and, you know, trying to make people money. Kind of, you know, wh- where are the opportunities to make money and what are the ones to avoid? Yeah, I'm not the right guy to ask about that. I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a crypto investor, right? I just sort of use the technology now and on two businesses that I've started, but, um, you know, I, I've, I've probably made embarrassingly little amount of money on crypto investments as someone who's so involved in the space. So I'm not the right guy to ask there. Uh, well, I, I obviously buying the, uh, 
your your sneakers or any sneakers that end state comes out with that would sure. be one way right right yeah of course <laughs> dude you have a subscription service where any sneaker that comes it's almost like the you know wine right where they've got silver oak or whatever has you know or ferraris right they have a very very limited you have to be on the exclusive list you ever see you coming up with some exclusive list where hey every new sneaker that comes out you got right a first refusal yeah, we actually, so our first ever sneaker drop that we did last year, the people who bought that and own the NFT have the right to buy into each subsequent drop. So that was one of the, the perks of buying into the first sneaker drop. And it's all mediated through the NFT, right? So how do we know who's on the list to yeah. buy, prove you on the NFT, and then you can buy into the subsequent drop. Wow. And has there already been, if you can comment, kind of, I'll say resales where there's been kind of proven yeah, markup and profit. Yeah, so our first drop, there's a, a pretty significant um, resale market, and the floor price um, for the first drop is uh, over a thousand dollars. So you know, the sort of the cheapest NFT that's for sale on secondary is over a thousand dollars. One of the big pieces that's missing is something that accounts for the physical component, right? So there's a ton of NFT marketplaces and secondary marketplaces for NFTs but not necessarily something that accounts for the physical product. So we see that as something that needs to be solved before there can be significant secondary transaction yeah. volume for end-state sneakers. Gotcha. Amazing. So what about any um, kind of fond memories or stories or something that we may not realize about kind of your crypto and blockchain uh, journey? <laughs> um I don't know if it's a fond memory, but it was uh, something that was really formative. So when we were negotiating the deal for Cognate to, to you know, be acquired by GoDaddy, um, flew back from GoDaddy HQ in San Francisco. I went to play basketball on a Saturday morning at Titus Sparrow Park in, in, South, in, um, in the South End in Boston. And I got my legs taken out from under me and I shattered my elbow. And so I had to have emergency surgery. And then that one, first one didn't go great. I had to have another emergency surgery like a week and a half later. And all the while I was trying to negotiate this acquisition between, <laughs> between Cognate and GoDaddy. Oh. And it was, uh, it was a really, really interesting experience, but it was also just sort of in the middle of like this first crypto bull run when there was this huge consciousness around, you know, what was happening in the space and even though that particular incident obviously is not a fond memory, um, it was just such a really interesting time where so many things happened in, in rapid succession that um, it always stands out in my mind as a, a formative part of my story and, you know, sort of my, my journey in the blockchain and crypto space. Wow. Amazing. Was uh, Blake Irving the CEO then? No. So it was um, Blake had left, I think, maybe like a year prior to when we were acquired. Interesting. Very cool. All right. So um, going to be wrapping up. So if there's any questions or comments, definitely fascinating. Uh, please type them in. So uh, maybe for yourself, assume you've had uh, some mentors over your uh, career, correct? That's right. Um, what type of advice have you received? In the startup world, done is better than perfect is the biggest piece of advice that sticks with me to this day. Um, obviously, there's a lot of judgment calls that you have to make around what product areas that applies to when done is better than perfect. Doesn't you know apply 100% of cases, but most of the time, um, it's really, really helpful and good advice. I, as a perfectionist, really struggled with that for my first business and shipping things at 
weren't quite ready or weren't as good as they could be. Um, you know, at some point you just got to let go and, and move fast enough and you don't have the luxury of getting things to be perfect. So that's the, that's the big one that it always sticks with me. Well, what about any advice you, you're still kind of on the young side, at least compared to me, but, um, kind of what advice would you give your uh, younger self? Oh man, that's a tough one. Um, aside from don't go play basketball that Saturday morning, you mean, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, uh, getting comfortable with failure is, is such a big component of being successful in business mm -hmm. startups in particular, and not being afraid of what, you know, other people think, or, you know, no one really cares what you're, no one cares what you're doing or, you know, cares about your failures or successes, which once you realize is kind of liberating, right? Like, okay, I can have this product launch. It doesn't go the way I want it to. People might like leave a couple comments and then they forget about it for the rest of their life. Um, you know, being comfortable with that and, you know, taking negative feedback and taking your lumps and having people saying, this is dumb or I don't get it. Um, you know, being able to shrug that off, like the sooner you can really immunize yourself from those comments and those feelings, the better you're going to be. Wow. Awesome. Very, very, very cool. So uh, it's been awesome having you. Um, really appreciate it and definitely look forward to following along. And uh, after we hang up here, I'm going to ask you a couple a couple other questions via, uh, of interest. And um, what else do we have? So Tucker, thanks for your help behind the scenes. Uh, we also have Tucker. I don't know if you can uh, post or not, but uh, for anybody that's watching, uh, we just realized a week or so ago that uh, it helps us to have five-star ratings. So if you go on Apple Podcast and type in Tech Sales Insight, you'll see the podcasts that come up. And if you scroll down to the very bottom, you can give a review and hit hit five star. And Tucker, hopefully I explained that properly. And uh, in the past week, I uh, looked this morning, I think we're up to 81 uh, five star reviews. So that's good. Uh, but Bennett, definitely awesome. Definitely fascinating in terms of what you have going on uh, with N-State. So this whole NFT sneaker thing, go check out N-State, get in touch with uh, Bennett and uh, wish you the best in your uh, growing family, most importantly. So uh, thanks. Uh, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Randy. It was fun.